It's the Media Buzz Meter with Howard Kurtz. To mask or not to mask? That seems to be the question of the hour, of the moment. The White House, according to some reports, uh, getting ready to do some sort of endorsement of people, ordinary Americans wearing masks, at least in the hot spots, I guess the harder hit areas of the country. But there seems to be a debate. I've seen medical experts uh, quoted as saying, well, it doesn't really, the Surgeon General said, you know, it doesn't really do much. Maybe it gives you more of a sense of confidence. I don't know. I actually put on a mask for the first time yesterday going into my corner grocery store. Uh, you know, I mean, people are in and out. The, certainly the, the, the retail clerks there, they're wearing gloves, they're wearing masks. So it no longer feels unusual to do it. I don't know how much good it does. I wish I had some brilliant advice here, but it seems to there seems to be a consensus that, you know, it's like chicken soup. It can't hurt, right? Meanwhile, I'll be headed back to the roof on Sunday morning. Uh, those of you who saw Media Buzz last week saw me in a not in a regular TV studio, but up on the roof of a nearby building with the Capitol behind me. Uh, did my own makeup, skeleton crew and all that, you know, just trying to do the social distancing thing. Some of the guests were at other, uh, you know, mobile studios. Some were just in Skype. You get to see uh, everybody's uh, backdrop. Uh, I had to do that yesterday. I did a piece uh, that hasn't aired yet. But so I'm fiddling with my bookcase. Well, what books do you want to show? Do you want a couple of family pictures here? You know, it's just fascinating because usually we see people in this sort of antiseptic, you know, climate controlled, perfectly lit, perfectly made up, perfectly quaffed studios. And now you get to see, you know, what does their house look like? Um, Most people using, you know, some sort of book drop backdrop. I saw John Heilman on MSNBC using his kitchen, had a little glass of orange juice. It's just fascinating. It gives you something else. It gives you a sense of what their lives are like and that these are people who don't always wear makeup, particularly the guys. Uh, So there is that. Uh, A little bit of politics having nothing to do with the virus before we get uh, underway here. Um, Jeff Sessions, as you may know, uh, running for his old Senate seat in Alabama, the former attorney general. Well, I, I knew President Trump wasn't actually going to be cheerleading for him, but wow, he is still mad at the guy who didn't recuse himself from the Russia investigation. Um, and so his campaign, the Trump campaign, actually put out a letter demanding that former Senator Jeff Sessions stop attaching himself to the president. Uh, I guess the runoff is coming up uh, in a few days. Uh, quote, the enclosed letter and donor uh, form, in fact, mentioned President Trump by name 22 times, says uh, some lawyer for the Trump campaign. Uh, the letter even makes the delusional assertion that you are President Trump's number one supporter. So they're calling Sessions delusional. We can only assume your campaign is doing this to confuse President Trump's loyal supporters in Alabama into believing the president supports your candidacy. Nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, Trump has come out and endorsed Sessions' primary opponent, a guy named Tommy Tuberville. Uh, he does not want Sessions back in Washington. Look, the guy was a senator there for, I think, three decades. So they know him pretty well in Alabama. And, you know, uh, Trump got this illusion with him, but Sessions has never come out and really blasted Trump. He's Maybe that's because he wanted to win his old seat back. Uh, I don't know. We'll see how that one turns out. Uh, meanwhile, this is a good thing. Uh, you know, Jeff Bezos... Has, has, is donating $100 million to uh, food uh, efforts to help during the coronavirus crisis. Fox News, if you're watching last night, Martha McCallum, last evening, Fox News and Facebook did this virtual town hall, uh, which was good. And Fox and Facebook jointly are donating $1 million 
to a coronavirus response fund. Um, one of them is called Feeding America's COVID-19 Response Fund. Uh, and I think that's a great thing. I think when these big companies and these uh, billionaires, as Bernie calls them, uh, decide to kick in some money uh, to help, uh, I think that's terrific. All right, a lot of ground to cover here, folks. So let's get down to it. Story number one. Uh, talk about partisan politics. Uh, this thing really erupted at the uh, Trump uh, briefing last evening. Uh, looking at a story here saying that House Speaker Nancy Pelosi announcing yesterday that she's going to create a House committee, a bipartisan committee, she says. But of course, since the Dems control the House, it will have a Democratic chairman. James Clyburn is going to chair this select committee on the coronavirus crisis. Now, my first reaction was, well, okay, this is just going to, you know, kind of harass Trump for all the things he didn't do in the past. And there might be some of that. But the main effort here um, is, you know, it's kind of um, not exactly like the 9-11 committee that investigated, you know, whether America was unprepared for that horrible terrorist attack. But to look at the spending of money, I think it's, you know, 500 billion, maybe closer to a trillion of the money being spent going to uh, businesses, going to individuals, going to small businesses. And, you know, President Trump in his signing statement when he signed that $2.2 trillion bill said, well, he didn't necessarily agree Uh, So that means he may fight it, that the inspector general created by the legislation should report to Congress the person's findings. And the Hill doesn't like that. The Democrats don't like that. Uh, Pelosi said the committee will investigate how the private sector is spending its government funds and press to ensure the federal response is based on science and health experts. We'll fight against profiteering, political favoritism and price gouging. Well, you can see where this might uh, potentially uh, cause some issues. The House Speaker also saying that the committee will have subpoena power. Without that, there's just no point, no use having a committee. If you don't have subpoena power, uh, Kevin McCarthy, the top Republican in the House, saying this really seems redundant because uh, there already is an inspector general. Um, and the president, as I teased moments ago, man, he kind of went off on it, uh, telling reporters at the, yesterday's uh, briefing, I want to remind everyone here in our nation's capital, this is not the time for politics. Endless partisan investigations. Here we go again. I've already done extraordinary damage to our country in recent years. You see what happens. And then he talked about it's witch hunt after witch hunt after witch hunt. And in the end, the people doing the witch hunt have been losing, says the president. And they have been losing by a lot. And it's not any time for witch hunts. It's a time to get the enemy defeated. And he says if they do this, it will only build up his poll numbers. So on the one hand, you have the President of the United States saying this is this reeks of partisan politics. This is not the time. We can look at this stuff later. Right now, people are dying. We're in the middle of a crisis. At the same time, the same president, this is the 45th president, uh, wrote a letter to Chuck Schumer, uh, prompted by some letter that Schumer had written him. Uh, you know, the two uh, New Yorkers have known each other for and tangled for a long time. And in this letter, President Trump accuses uh, Majority Leader Schumer, Minority Leader Schumer, excuse me, of course, the Democratic leader in the Senate, of being missing in action during the coronavirus response, except for making media appearances. Quote, no wonder AOC and others are thinking about running against you in the primary. If they did, they would likely win. Well, I don't know if that's true, but the president says it. Uh, Trump even went so far as to salute Andrew Cuomo and Bill de Blasio. He hates Bill de Blasio. But he says they're both working with the White House to get the job done. 
I've known you for many years, as the president says, but I never knew how bad a senator you are for the state of New York until I became president. So I'm going to go out on a limb here and say this is a bit of a mixed message. When the, uh, the Congress does something the president doesn't like, Nancy Pelosi is going to create this bipartisan committee. That's partisan politics and a witch hunt. They haven't even named the members of the committee. The committee hasn't even started, but it's already a witch hunt. But when Senator Schumer criticizes the president on certain matters, you know, doing a better job of, of uh, getting medical equipment into production, the president has taken some of those steps. And, you know, getting them directly to the states and not having the states, or all the governors are complaining they're having to fight each other for this vital life-saving stuff. He says, you're a really bad senator. So let's just say you, you were not succeeding in taking partisan politics on either side out of this situation. I don't know that you ever can, and I don't even know ultimately if you want to. I mean, petty partisan fights at this time, in this time of great seriousness, in this time of financial hardship, uh, medical crisis, overwhelmed hospitals. Yeah, I could do with a lot less of that, but I don't know. Uh, Here's a Washington Post news story, major piece on this. You decide whether this is uh, too negative or not. Says the Post, in the three weeks since declaring the novel coronavirus outbreak, they keep calling it novel, I don't know, isn't that kind of implied? In national emergency, President Trump has delivered a dizzying array of rhetorical contortions, sowed confusion, and repeatedly sought to cast blame on others. Um, History has never known a crisis like this, says Trump. Self-described wartime president claims he's merely backup for the states. Uh, He has faulted the governors for acting too slowly, as he did yesterday has accused overwhelmed state and hospital officials of complaining too much and of hoarding supplies. All this coming as the president, according to the Washington Post, uh, tries to remake his public image from that of a skeptic of the pandemic's danger to a savior, forestalling catastrophe and protecting hundreds of thousands of people from a vicious contagion. He has also distorted the truth, making edits and creating illusions at many turns. And then it goes on to say the result is chaotic. Leaders from Maine to Oregon, from Dayton, Ohio to Austin, Texas, say their constituents are whipsawed by the contradictory messages. Now, I'm not saying when you read down in the story that, you know, the Post quotes various governors, um, including Republican Larry Hogan in Maryland, as complaining about how Trump and the administration have handled this. And look, I mean, accountability is part of what journalism does. But when you look at, uh, for all, I mean, here's, here's what I would say. All the people who love President Trump think he's doing a great job. They think this is a hit piece. They think this is unfairly attacking him, has a lot of loaded language, and so forth. All the people who think that President Trump is doing a terrible job, that he was too late to this, that he was too slow in his response, that more people will die as a result, will say, yeah, we need more stories like this because they're calling him out for what he's doing. The truth lies somewhere in between. Maybe that's a bit of a cop-out, but I often find that to be the case. Uh, This is a long block, but I've got a lot to cram in here. Oh, and one more thing. You know this estimate that the president has now cited and the administration has now embraced this rather sobering estimate that if everything goes right, if all the mitigation efforts uh, help to, uh, uh, to slow the spread of the virus, that 100,000 to 240,000 people will die, that that's the good news scenario, which is still really hard, folks, for me to wrap my head around. Well, a uh, separate piece in the Washington Post is some of President Trump's top advisors have expressed doubts about this estimate, according to three White House officials, speaking, of course, on the condition of anonymity. Uh, at a task force meeting this week, two officials with direct knowledge say Anthony Fauci uh, told others there were too many variables at play in the pandemic to make the models reliable. 
Here's the quote attributed to Fauci. I've looked at all the models. I've spent a lot of time on the models. They don't tell you anything. You can't really rely upon models. Robert Redfield, he's the director of the CDC and the vice president's office have similarly voiced doubts about the projections accuracy. And the truth is, and even the White House doesn't even say, well, would those people, the 100,000 to 240,000, would they die just in the coming months according to these models? Or would it take, uh, is this over a period of a year? how long it might take to get a vaccine on the market. I don't know. You don't know. Fauci says we don't know. Maybe uh, Trump is just trying to convey the, the, the magnitude of this. Maybe it's a worst-case scenario thing. So if fewer than 100,000 people die, then he can, compl- uh, can uh, declare victory. I, I, I'm not accusing him of, of putting this out there for political reasons. It just seems to be dissension within the administration. Story number two, Jared Kushner. Now, Jared Kushner is getting dumped on by all these media people because at yesterday's briefing, he came out and spoke for a few minutes. Uh, Politico has a piece on how dozens of Trump administration officials have gone to the White House. But the one who hasn't, this is written before Jared came out, is Jared Kushner, of course, White House senior official and the president's son-in-law. And this has become an all-encompassing portfolio for Kushner. He has a little kitchen cabinet including McKinsey consultants taking charge of a lot of this stuff having to do with test access, ramping up industrial production of these medical supplies. He's in charge. Um, So what happened was when Jared came out yesterday, he said something that was a little bit of a faux pas. He didn't use the right word. And here's the quote. And so people people who don't like him, don't like Trump, don't like the whole family, don't like the whole White House, are going crazy. The notion of the federal stockpile, said Jared Kushner yesterday, was it's supposed to be our stockpile. It's not supposed to be the state stockpile that they then use. Okay, so he shouldn't have said our because what he meant was our collectively, the federal government, that that's on a different track than what the states do. You can agree with that or not agree with that, but it was just, you know, it was the wrong word. It was a misstep. George Takei, the Star Wars guy, he's got that incredible voice. Tweets, Jared Kushner isn't qualified to run a lemonade stand, let alone tell governors how to manage critical supply chains. He's a continuing threat to our safety and security and national embarrassment. Chris Hayes, our stockpile, I mean, our is the citizens of the United States, right? Or is it like Jared's personal stash? Uh, Michelle Goldberg, liberal New York Times columnist under the headline, Jared Kushner is going to kill us all. Not that that's clickbait or overstated in any way. It's hard to believe, she writes, that someone with as little expertise as Kushner could be so arrogant. He succeeded in exactly three things in his life. He was born to the right parents, okay, married well, okay, and learned how to influence his father-in-law. Most of his other endeavors, his biggest real estate deal, his foray into newspaper ownership, um, his attempt to broker a peace deal between the Israelis and the Palestinians have been failures. Now, I just want to say a few words. I know Jared Kushner a little bit, not well. Uh, but I have talked to him on occasion. And in the campaign, he he wasn't even an official part of the campaign. But what happened was the president, the candidate Trump, was unhappy with what a lot of the people in his campaign were doing. And he, said, he would say to Jared, Jared, can you just uh, come in here and make sure we pay the vendors on time? And he said, Jared, can you just come here? And before you knew it, Jared was basically running the campaign behind the scenes. I'm not saying he was the campaign manager, as Kellyanne Conway ultimately was, but he was an absolute key player. Now, uh, it is true. He didn't make peace between the Israelis and the Palestinians. By the way, neither did Barack Obama, George W. Bush, Ronald Reagan, Jimmy Carter. Jimmy Carter did, of course, have the uh, peace deal with Egypt, uh, the Camp David Accord, and that was his greatest accomplishment. George H.W. Bush. It's a hard thing to do. Um, But Kushner is not the dummy 
that many people portray him as. Uh, you know, one of the reasons that he gets dumped on is because he doesn't get out there as he did yesterday. He doesn't do a lot of interviews. He doesn't do news conferences. He's not out there trying to, you know, uh, or certainly to a much lesser extent than almost anybody else in politics, you know, shape his own image, uh, leak to reporters about what a great job he's doing. Uh, and people just resent him. I mean, look, is it true that if it were not for the fact that his father-in-law were president, he would not be a White House official? Of course it's true. Does that mean he's not smart, that he didn't have a business background? Did he have setbacks in business? Yeah, a lot of people in business do. I'm not defending everything Jared Kushner says, but I do think the kind of personal vitriol and animosity aimed at this guy uh, just seems out of bounds. Hey, let's pause right there. The buzz meter continues right after this. All right, story number three, uh, my daily Chris Cuomo update. So, Finally, Chris Cuomo, I've known for a long time, uh, took advice, and he didn't host his whole show yesterday. He's obviously suffering from the coronavirus, but he was on for the first 10 minutes. Uh, Anderson Cooper and Sanjay Gupta interviewed him from his basement. He talked about these hallucinations he's been having. He called them wicked phantasmagorical experiences. I had to make sure I pronounced that correctly. I will get pain in my face now, headaches, profuse sweating, literally my vision in my left eye a little blurry from pressure, from sinus pressure and some manifestation of the virus, says Chris Cuomo. Talked to several experts and clinicians in this. They all said it's a very common thing. And then you can't sleep because you have a fever. And then you have these, I mentioned, the phantasmagorical experiences that are not dreams. When I say I saw my father, the late Mario Cuomo, sitting on the end of the bed, I would have gradually raised my hand and testified to it under oath. Why? Because of the fever. He says he wished he'd gotten this earlier. I can't imagine that. So he could have told people how bad it really is. Now, just when I finished the podcast yesterday, I then turned on the TV and the Andrew Cuomo briefing was still going on, the daily televised briefing by Chris's brother, the governor of New York. And then suddenly, this was just amazing, by remote Skype or whatever, uh, camera, um, Chris Cuomo comes on and he's like a guest at the daily official New York State briefing. And they were, they love to razz each other. You know, I know Andrew as well. And the governor said, the fever has affected your mental capacity. And Chris says, I think everything I say is funny now. And he cracked up. He couldn't control himself. And then Chris was wearing a hat with the name of his show, Cuomo Primetime. So it's free, you know, publicity for CNN. Uh, governor Andrew Cuomo said, just praising him to the skies. This is his best friend. He loves him. Look, it's you know, you can't fake that between the two of them. For you to get up, do that show, share with people, that is a strength and a character strength that is really incredible. So I'm flipping around and like MSNBC is taking this, Fox News is taking this, MSNBC finally pulled out of it. I think Fox a couple minutes later. It kind of went on a little too long. It was entertaining TV. Um, look, did it cross a line from being part of the state brief, official briefing? I don't know. It's the governor's brother, but he also happens to be a CNN host with strong opinions. Um, some people didn't like it. Some people did like it. Um, I think the governor understands that people are interested in him now, interested in his family. Um, it seems like the two of them, when he's no longer governor, they should go and get their own show. Um, but nevertheless, I was surprised that uh, he was part of the official New York State briefing. Oh, you remember how I said yesterday that every single day the New York Times must have an Andrew Cuomo story? Well, here it is again today. I don't make this stuff up, folks. I, I, I know what I'm talking about. Um, today's New York Times piece uh, starts off with Andrew Cuomo getting a softball question. Imagine that from Chris Cuomo. Uh, about President Trump saying that healthcare workers 
well, the insinuation that they were taking the medical equipment out the back door and Governor Cuomo didn't take the bait. It's a very vague thing. It went out the back door. I don't know what that means. Chris seems stunned. It didn't go out the back door. He said he's saying somebody is taking it. He was trying to get his brother to attack Trump. Well, maybe that's what he means, but I don't know. The governor said it's a very vague reference. Uh, Anyway, this piece goes on to say, quote, somebody is saying that Andrew Cuomo is the Trump whisperer because when he does criticize the administration, he keeps a general. When he does offer praise for the administration, it's, he names Trump, that he understands that if you personally attack Trump and he's not going to be able to have a great relationship with him and for the sake of the people in the state of New York, which is the hardest hit um, of, of all the states by far. I mean, half the coronavirus cases there. And he's on TV today saying, you know, by this weekend, we're going to run out of these needed medical supplies. So the Times say, and the Times has said this before, and I'm sure the Times will say it again tomorrow and wait for the big Sunday takeout. Anyway, saying that Cuomo seems to know how to work with Trump while still being critical and being a strong advocate for his state. He doesn't go on, you know, out there and call him an idiot, which would sort of hurt. All right, story number four. We're running a little long here. This drives me nuts. Okay, so remember what a big deal it was when the president uh, uh, dispatched those two Navy hospital ships, one to New York, the other one to California. In fact, there was live coverage of the launching of the ship from Norfolk, I believe. The president went down to Norfolk, Virginia. Uh, and uh, you know, who, would, who wouldn't cheer for that? You know, I, I don't know, it's got a thousand beds or something. Yeah, a thousand beds. So it chugs into New York Harbor, and I'm thinking, okay, well, this will take some of the pressure off of these incredibly uh, overwhelmed and overcrowded hospitals up there in the Big Apple. And the reality today, right now, is only 20 patients have been transferred to this ship. It's unbelievable. And the one in L.A., 15 patients. Um, the head of uh, New York's largest hospital system is quoted as saying in the Times, if I'm blunt about it, it's a joke. Uh, we're in crisis here. We're in a battlefield. So there's all these boring bureaucratic reasons why there's only 20 patients at the one uh, that's docked in New York Harbor. Uh, there are bureaucratic hurdles, military protocols. So you can't go there if you have coronavirus. The idea is to open up beds at the existing hospitals for the corona patients. Um, but there are 49 medical conditions that would exclude you from going on this ship. 49. And the ambulance can't just take you directly to the ship. First, they've got to take you to a city hospital for a lengthy evaluation, including a test for the virus, and then pick you up again and take you to the ship. By the time they get, you know, lots of people to this hospital ship, you know, it could be the fall and this thing could be over. It's just unbelievable that they can't cut through the red tape. Did we do this in World War II? No. We got planes built every single day that we were not planning to build because the U.S. was suddenly uh, in a world war. And we didn't have all this red tape, and we cut through the red tape. It's just unbelievable. And finally, story number five. One of the most heartwarming things, Andrew Cuomo was mentioning this as well, 20,000 medical professionals who live across the country have heeded the governor's call to come to New York, to come to the New York metropolitan area and help out the overwhelmed healthcare system. And putting themselves, obviously, at some risk. And this is just the best of America for people to do that. But this story pisses me off, and I hope it pisses you off. Uh, of course, because this is in New York, it's a piece in the Times. Again, um, there's a guy named Dr. Richard Levitan, and he uh, lives in New Hampshire. And he was one of these 20,000. He volunteered to work for 10 days at Bellevue Hospital in Manhattan, um, besieged by coronavirus patients. And he goes there, and he looked at his phone, And he had a text from his brother. His brother, because he needed a place to live when he came from New Hampshire, was letting him use an apartment uh, on the Upper West Side. 
And the text said, hey, Richard, we're so proud of you and your heroism. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but looks like our apartment building doesn't want you staying in our apartment. The building's board of directors wanted him out. So you know what this is about? It's about these New York City co-ops. The co-op boards of these apartments where you actually sort of own your apartment. It's not like a condo, but you own shares and so forth. Um, They're like dictators. They can kick you out because they don't like the way you comb your hair. They cannot let you in because they don't like your job. They don't even have to give a reason. They absolutely run these fiefdoms. So this guy goes to New York. And look, I do understand maybe they feel like, well, he's being exposed to the hospital. You think he's not being careful and wearing scrubs and a mask and gloves? We don't want him in the building. We don't care that he came from New Hampshire to try to help our city. We want him out. And the co-op board has the final say. And so he has to find someone else to live. So thank you, Dr. Levertan. Um, screw you, New York City Co-op Board, whichever building this is. And it just it goes to show you that uh, some people will just care about themselves. And, and, and I, I don't want to curse, so I'll leave it at that. I hope you'll watch Media Buzz Sunday morning, 11 Eastern. We've got a, a terrific lineup. I'm not sure if we'll have the whole show. We'll have a lot of it. You'll see me up on the roof. Uh, in the meantime, Apple, iTunes, Google Play, foxnewspodcast.com. If you're staying at home, if you're quarantined, be careful, stay safe, have a good weekend. We'll see you Monday with more BuzzFeed. From the Fox News Podcasts Network, in these ever-changing times, you can rely on Fox News for hourly updates for the very latest news and information on your time. Listen and download now at foxnewspodcast.com or wherever you get your favorite podcasts.